Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm here, I'm here with Jarrell, and we're going to talk about the pro-life world and how there is room for growth and locations and hours of operation and services in order to better serve those who, who have a need for, for help and who are in the abortion vulnerable space and who need love and care as if God wanted to help them right where they are. So, Jarrell, I am so excited to have you here. Um, welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. Uh, would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a room of executive directors of Tracy Clinics? Happy to, Jacob. Great. Cool to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I'm Jarrell Godsey, president of Heartbeat International, and I'm always glad to be in a room full of executive directors of uh, pregnancy help efforts, wherever they are around the world. Awesome. So, yeah, and so, and in the and in the description, we'll have a link to this uh, this report or this article about Room to Grow. So tell me, tell me how this article got started. Tell me about the, yeah, what are the roots? And then let's just go ahead and start talking about what your findings were when creating this piece. Sure. We, Heartbeat celebrated its 50th anniversary uh, in 2021. Um, and that was 50 years of the pregnancy help movement in particular. We were called, Heartbeat was called into existence by the fledgling pregnancy help movement back in the 60s. So we started in 1971, but that we started then because people had already been doing this before Roe. There were those trying to reach out and help women have another decision and have an alternative to abortions. In fact, that's what Heartbeat International was originally known as, as Alternatives to Abortion International. And there, therein began the, the adventure. In 1968, the very first pregnancy center opened as a standalone effort the, that, that we can we understand was kind of the beginning of this, even the concept or the method of how to deliver life-affirming help to those who are facing uh, unplanned pregnancy. So we, we were celebrating and looking back on the arc of all of that. And we were, you know, it's very exciting uh, being Heartbeat International. We get to talk about uh, these other networks that exist in other parts of the country. We are connected with many or most of them, if not all of them. Uh, and and it kind of occurred to me like, hey, I, I was actually in some other article, uh, newspaper articles, I was reading about per capita. And I was th I was thinking, I was like, okay, we need it. We, that's a good tool. Let's, let's, um, let's do some research and let's just put the numbers down and see. And I was really looking at the international side of things and, um, and wondering how things were internationally. But then I turned around and did them state by state and eventually county by county. And it was a fascinating, it suddenly became obvious. It's like, wait a minute, we're, we're very excited to have 2,750 or 2,800 pregnancy help uh, locations in the U.S., uh, but is that enough? And is it in, in, do we need more? And if so, how much more and how many more and, and where do we go with those? And that was the idea that began to kind of coalesce into what this white paper that uh, I wrote last year called uh, pregnancy help centers room to grow. Hmm. Yeah. And it seems like when, when thinking about the, the concept, um, there's always, a, it seems like there's an evergreen need for more places that will provide healthy, um, positive experiences for people, especially in, in, in these pockets that have been identified as not having any pregnancy clinics in those counties, perhaps. 
Um, and, and meanwhile, maybe there's not much competition, but nonetheless, there's people there and those people need service and, and healthy options and healthy support, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then also when it comes to the, the, the highly populated areas, there's usually room for more services to be rendered when there's, you know, a, a density involved. Um, and, um, and one of the things that I, I often think about is like, I feel like there's always room for growth because God's fingerprints are ever present in this crazy <laughs> clinic movement. And there's like never ending stories of how like God is honoring this work and supporting and growing this work. And so I feel like pouring into it makes perfect sense to be like, if God's will had a bullseye, like this would be, this would be a really good zone to be hitting. <laughs> that's a that's a great way to put that, Jacob. The the understanding I have is uh, the really the pregnancy help movement is an outgrowth of the of the church. It's really the church in action. Now that's not to say that people who are um, who are have no faith can't can't be involved or shouldn't be involved. We certainly welcome everyone to be part of this, but it really is a manifestation of the practical outreach of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we try to be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus in someone's life. And th that to me is one of the most amazing things that happens at a pregnancy center is when a complete stranger, we sit down with a complete stranger and enter and intentionally enter into their lives in order to to give them uh, the opportunity for life affirming options, and so so you 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 described it well. There's always room for that, and always room for us to grow that. And uh, uh, we we kind of coalesce that into a thought that every woman should be loved and supported in her pregnancy. And unfortunately, in our culture, that doesn't happen enough. And so, but the heart of the pregnancy help movement is just that: love her into into life affirming decisions uh care for her help her make, make help and make sure that that she knows that she has true choice and true options available to her yeah and i love that analogy of like this is the hands and feet um that reflect you know god's hands and feet um the only thing i would add to that would be i i often see god's heart reflected in the in the executive directors and like their they're they're you know they're essentially working so hard to provide free high quality medical services, and they're you know the the level of care and um, just the the outpouring of energy and and um, compassion it, it reflects God's heart so well um, that I feel like yeah I feel like we have such incredible executive directors across the country that are just doing amazing things you know providing medical services while also fundraising so that they will be completely accessible to everyone who may or may not be able to afford those services, which is pretty much just sort of, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I appreciate that you're, you know, we're talking to executive directors. Uh, the, the good news is that over 50 years, the, the look and feel of a, of a pregnancy help center has grown over time and become a, become a, uh, a more than just one person situation. It's become uh, where that executive director is merely the is merely the representative of many individuals who are making that local local mission grow to make it happen. So so they're the ones who get to sit in the in the hot seat, right in the big seat. Uh, but they have a number of team members who are helping them um, helping them envision what 
what's happening, helping them fulfill the mission and vision that they've been called to. And so we have a number of nurses. We have a number of, of, uh, of professionals who are involved. We have a myriad of volunteers. So we did a survey and, and trying to understand how big the teams are now that are you know, we, we know the lone executive director scenario is still out there, but uh, it's just more and more become um, uh, bigger teams, uh, more involved, um, making that happen. So. so one of the areas that I was um, pondering after reading your, your article was which areas need which need growth like. Like geographically, I think you've identified that there's room for growth when it comes to new areas or maybe um, certain population dense areas. I feel like that was being highlighted. But then, well, yeah, and another area would be like services. And that also was highlighted, such as, you know, 72% providing ultrasounds. I feel like that would be, you know, pretty well served if that was even higher. Um, And STI testing, childbirth classes, um, and then I, one of the numbers that I would I, I sort of longed to see, and I've got a feeling you might have a finger, you might have a pulse on it, would be the APR when it comes to how many clinics are. And I know that's brand you know new, as in like less than eight years ish or mm-hmm. however long it's been around. But um, yeah, so relatively the newest kid on the block, but at the same time uh, growing very quickly. So I'm wondering. Yeah, where that one might be, and that might be in the follow-up report, perhaps. <laughs> right. Uh, that, yeah, that's still unfolding as far as the abortion pill uh, reversal, uh, and it's still it's still small in 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 compared compared to the numbers that are out there of people that are participating sure. in chemical abortion. But that's our vision is to grow that each and you know each and every uh, month, every year. We're we're growing that. We we've, we've seen a sixty percent increase since last year. Um, uh, and we're, we only see that going up as women step into that reality and, and change their minds and we need to be there for them. Uh, when we talk about services, uh, one of the things that we really focused on in this particular report, room to grow is, and and we did, we did talk, um, we did use the specific address location, right? So we, we didn't take into account uh, and, and this is intentionally, uh, we didn't take into account the service area that this, so it's entirely possible that, for instance, one center uh, really, really strongly located, like maybe right on the county line can serve both counties very well. You know, we, we, sure. we just don't, we don't have a way to kind of capture yet. We don't have a, a way yet to kind of capture um, truly the impact of a service area versus the county that they're in. But what we saw is that is that uh, 51% of all the counties in the U.S. have a pregnancy center. Hallelujah. And uh, now that tells me that 49% don't. So, okay, we're going to keep that number and we're going to grow in that direction. Um, and we've used that. We've used this tool actually to kind of help refine our ability to um, launch new centers. We have a, a program called the Life Launch program where we launch new organizations primarily at up to up to this point uh, that are interested in going into areas of uh, of greater need and so we, we certainly see a, a a an area that is either very dense in, in population and underserved because of it which is the other factor you call that or has no pregnancy center in that county we, we've had i think five or six opened in counties that that did not have an existing pregnancy center 
uh, available to them. So we've been excited to do that. It's kind of helped sharpen our focus and kind of orient our thinking um, to, to, to know where to go with those places. Um, but the one challenge that, that we, two challenges that we realize is we really are going to need more pathways, more ways to reach them, which goes to the services uh, dynamic. Are, are we using the right services? Could we could we see more ultra more ultrasound services? Yes, absolutely. You, you called that out earlier. We have more than seventy percent of all of our um, pregnancy help locations have ultrasound. Uh, we we can we can easily see that going to 100%. No reason it, it shouldn't be. Uh, of course, you know there might be some instances where a local center board has made that uh, made that kind of a calculus where they said, well, yeah. we don't need to be that maybe because that there's something in nearby that does that. And th we understand that. Um, but on the, on the face of it, there's places where we can, we can see adding more services that strengthen those services and also broaden them as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for the, for the clinics who are not providing the medical services, having that close referral partner might be satisfying that need. Um, but at the same time towards growing and making things even just one step closer for a client to to have those services going yeah more clinics go, you know, usually that non-medical stage of the clinic's life you know happens before they go medical and that's just part of that natural progression towards towards growth for that given organization that makes a lot of sense it, it is uh, and and every 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 board should be asking themselves these questions. Uh, we we know that ultrasound increases uh, by our um, by our research. It, it increases the 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 decision making process like three times. She's three times as likely to choose life because of an ultrasound. Now I can also add uh, our the same research that that um, is a few years old, but not that old. It, it says also if she comes back for a second a second uh, visit that too increases her probability that, apart from the ultrasound it increases the probability that she'll choose life by 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 nearly as much so if, if we have compelling services if we have a a, a, com a compelling and engaging relationship that we start well with her and and it, it draws her back whether it's to some other service or to continue the conversation both of those things can be very powerful and both of those things then we see increase her ability to choose for her herself to carry that that child to term and so we want to see both of those increasing see her more and also or ultrasound we are excited for that yeah and i think that it seems to reflect um the, the, if there's a way to measure the amount of trust that she's placing in that group or the person that's helping her um, that's probably got some correlation when it comes to her decision making or or how much weight she might give the voice of that person she's talking to at the clinic. Um, yep. so, certainly yeah. helps her mindset uh, realize that um, even if we don't do everything perfectly, we're, we're at least conveying something to her that that gives her that that courage. That uh, I, I appreciate my colleague Betty talks about. Encourage means to give courage, right? We give her courage mm, to do this. Good. And you know, I, I I we need to we celebrate all of the women that get served. You know, Charlotte Lozier estimates nearly two million every year uh, by the Pregnancy Help Movement. We um, we celebrate every baby that is saved from from the risk of abortion. Uh, the the truth is, though, uh, as, as, as you and I, Jacob, know that that we haven't saved one single baby. We have empowered her 
to save her own baby. And that's really mm. that joy of bringing her the information that she needs, uh, providing the services that help her know that. And we need to see more of that happening across the country. And, and around the world, by the way, just uh, for those that haven't read uh, PhD's Room to Grow, uh, the, the U.S. has hands down the largest uh, network of um, pregnancy help organizations in the globe, uh, with averaging more than four pregnancy help centers per half million people. The next closest country to us uh, is Italy. And after that is Zambia. Now, Italy has an amazing network as well. They have, they, but they've been at it since 1975. Uh, and it's, that's, a, that's a network all, all kind of contained. Like, you know, we're, we're not, our movement is, is, uh, is connected in many ways, certainly through Heartbeat, through our friends at CareNet, NIFLA, and where lots of folks uh, like to affiliate with all of the above or some of the above or whatever. And sure. I'm, but I'm always talking about the pregnancy centers as a whole. In Italy, they were all part of one entity called Movimento per la Vita. And they've been at this and they have, I, I, last numbers I heard were 360 pregnancy centers, what we would know as pregnancy centers, and then 40, 42 maternity homes. So they, they have okay. been growing that network. That's the next largest. Now, after you get Italy and Zambia, we begin to get uh, it begin, the numbers go go way down as far as per capita. And so that, that's been an interesting kind of understanding. And yet mm. in the U.S., there's still room to grow. There's still more people that, that can be reached. You know, we did a even a, a brief city look in the in the report. We just looked at five cities and and kind of using that per capita. So, for instance, or, I'm sorry, Los Angeles County. Uh, is sure. essentially Los Angeles, right? We use that kind of as the metric. There are 29 pregnancy centers in Los Angeles County, like yay, or in the, in the in the Los Angeles metro area. Let me say that, and and like that's exciting. 29, like like that doesn't exist in that geography. It doesn't exist to that degree and density in any other part of the U.S. or anywhere else in the world. Yet, when we look at the actual per capita numbers, they they would be almost, not quite, but almost one of the smaller countries in the globe, you know, that with a 1.45 pregnancy centers per capita. Why is that? Per 500,000. Why is that? Because there's a, there's a lot of locations and we celebrate and they literally are the number one area in our country for locations but per uh when, when we take that number and and put it against the actual density of the population there population. it's, it's yeah. way way underserved <clears throat> yeah and it seems like you're you're highlighting there's exponential room for growth um globally when it comes to other countries like i you know and in some countries where it's probably like ground zero at some point um and starting yeah like yeah it's just um but that's yeah, that's a huge like that yeah the room for growth is enormous even in some parts of the world and where they're just yeah there's no help or little tiny bits of help available currently yeah and, and of course in some cases it, there are a few countries where uh such such efforts are either illegal or would would be operating against a a um you know a declared policy you know china france those are the kind of places of course there are there are, there are countries that are 
very much closed off to uh, Christian thinking in general, right? Certainly some of our Muslim countries are that way. Uh, North mm. Korea, of course, is one of those that it would be, can't, can't yeah. imagine. It, it doesn't mean pregnancy help is not happening. Uh, it just means that the kind of our traditional knowledge of, or our, how we would see the method of a pregnancy center, that kind of standalone entity where 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 people can go and get connected, it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It just means it doesn't quite look like that for us. Yeah, maybe they're maybe they're having to operate um, underground or without public visibility. Right, or in, in connection with some other ministry that's a broader service ministry, and so that pregnancy help might be happening within that, that, uh, that you know, that happens here in the U.S. as well, where we have uh, some churches have established these community centers, dream centers, where it's a myriad of services, and pregnancy help is often happening within those, even though there isn't a specific corner carved out that says this is the pregnancy center, right? That, but it's still happening where, where she's mm -hmm. empowered to make a life decision. So we know that those things are happening. Those, of course, are harder to uh, to count, to evaluate uh, from a distance, but uh, we're, we know that that does happen. Yeah. So going back to the U.S. Um, and recalling something I heard Abby Johnson say, it was either at a CareNet conference or a Heartbeat conference. I don't remember which, but she, she did this talk about hours of operation and how when Planned Parenthood is open on a Saturday or they're open until 8 p.m., how there's room for growth when it comes to the pregnancy clinics in the area competing to match their hours or beat their hours when it comes to being open, which is obviously, you know, using volunteers and staff is no, no easy thing to do, but it's critical and important to be open, you know, as many hours. And I feel like there's, there's room for growth on matching the hours of our so competition. You're basically kind of teeing up uh, the the focus of a of another white paper that we're in the process of okay. <laughs> of discussing. Uh, we, we've done some additional research. Uh, of course, this kind of inspired it using the information what we we have of hours and of hours of operation uh, for the option line, right? So option line is a, um, a, a, a program here at Heartbeat International, which basically uh, has over two thousand organizations or locations that are on option line uh, that we help serve now setting aside the the some of the housing and adoption services and just focusing on pregnancy centers we, we evaluated about uh, 1500 uh, locations that are on option line and the hours that they're open and I, I literally we were just doing this um, uh, pulling this this information together and and you're right Abby's right less than 10 percent of our pregnancy center locations are open on Saturday. And and that is important because that's when if, if that is important, particularly when if there's a, a an a abortion clinic nearby within driving distance, um, that's that's critical. I know our sidewalk friends, you know, sidewalk advocates for life and 40 days for life. Mm -hmm. Those guys, when they're they're taking their time they're most of them are volunteers. Some of them are, are you know, are kind of missionary staff members. But when they're taking their time to go and stand out on the sidewalk on that Saturday and the center pregnancy center is closed, that's that's a huge missed opportunity that we have. And so it's going yeah. to be one of the things that we're going to be talking about more specifically is uh, are we open? Here's another one that that this actually shocked our entire team. We knew this was an issue. We didn't know we didn't know the numbers and, and how big of an issue it was. But even on Fridays, 
Jacob, is the, the number is less than 50% of our pregnancy centers are open on Fridays, which is a weekday. Um, and, and here's why that's important, and more important now than ever, is because the abortion pill itself, chemical abortion, the entire movement is shifting, the, the, the abortion movement, the big abortion is shifting to chemical abortion. We, we called this out a couple of years ago that we knew in 2020, we were saying in 2020 that the number would be 50% uh, of all abortions. And that was a trend calculation. It wasn't something we knew because we know abortion reporting is a challenge. But, but here we are sitting in 2022, and of course, 2020 was COVID year, and we don't, we haven't actually seen the numbers come out from the abortion industry, which they have the, they have the, we think of the most accurate numbers. But using the CDC numbers, which is only a partial count, we know that this is true. That. 50% of all abortions uh, in 2020 were chemical abortions. Now, why is that important? Because most often the uh, chemical abortions are are prescribed and 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 done when when it was still required of them doing it in the doctor's office, were encouraged to happen on Thursday or Friday. And the reason for that is because the symptoms then that follow, right? The the as you know, you mentioned Abby as her as her movie Unplanned shows that the symptoms that follow is heavy bleeding and uh, and pain, you know, pain, cramping, those things. That that's that's intentional. That that's that's what the the drugs, uh, the two drug protocol is designed to do. Um, and so what they're what they were doing was basically giving her these prescriptions on Thursday or Friday so that she essentially has her abortion, you know, sadly in, you know, in her dorm room or at home in her own bathroom. Uh, our friends at, at yeah. uh, Students for Life call these bathroom abortions or toilet bowl abortions, but they do that so that those symptoms can be, can be had over the weekend. And then therefore she can, in theory, return to normality, um, Albeit, you know, a, a post-abortion normality uh, on on Monday. Well, here we are. We're we're sitting, and we need to intervene with her. And yet, and yet, our locations are not are not open to receive her. Now, the good news is, option line is still functioning because we function 24/7, 365. Uh, abortion pill rescue network is functioning because we because that also is 24/7, 365. But this is going to be something that that if as the as big abortion shifts, we're going to have to revisit these these ideas about about uh, hours and hours open and how to serve. And that may challenge some in many cases. I know many centers have already done this. They recognize that relying on, on an all all volunteer or primarily volunteer uh, team is going to have its issues and that's going to require a better vision stronger vision for um, for staffing even into mm -hmm. difficult days and that's why Friday and Saturdays is going to have to be an issue and you know almost no I think it's 0.4 percent on Sunday which that we understand um, that's that would be a challenge under any circumstances but this is an area we're going to have to speak into yeah, and I don't know what the numbers are for Planned Parenthood being open on Sundays. Um, I, I don't know. It probably depends on the location. I mean, it's probably a, I'm not sure what the percent would be, but 
Well, and, and keep, um, keep in mind that, that, that they are changing the, the equation even as we, as we're running to catch up. They're changing the equation. They're going you know, they're basically doing mail order abortions, right? So yeah, the, you know, Amazon will function any time of the any any you know, Am, Amazon will deliver abortions on on um, on Sundays and Saturdays and Mondays and Wednesdays and everywhere. So we're not sure what that new landscape looks as far as the the arc of those things, but uh, it is it is a, a, a current problem that we need yeah. to wrap our minds around about being more available when she's in that valley of decision. Yeah, the new the new uh, sidewalk is the virtual sidewalk, which is fighting or competing on Google and with branding and and it's just it's a different it's a different well yeah the virtual space for for people who are shopping online um and allow it yeah and the the sidewalk might involve advertising and yeah search search engine marketing uh efforts but it's it's a different landscape um than than the physical because of yeah ordering it from well, either ordering it from amazon or ordering it for, ordering it from overseas or right or going across the border to go to a pharmacy like those are some of the new spaces we're competing in that's true and as the as the abortion industry changes their tactics because the, you know they're trying to preserve their bottom line um and uh it's which is uh, of course terrible but they they they're going to be have abortions anywhere anytime for any reason that's their goal um and our limitations to some of this came along with kind of the healthcare mindset of like well you know doctors offices operate between nine and five true um uh but er rooms don't you know and urgent care doesn't uh that you know they're they have different hours and we're gonna mm. have to to do some rethinking if we are truly about the uh, abortion minded uh that abortion bound person if we're truly uh, going to be interacting with them we're going to have to be there when she's looking and and that that of course is a is a digital response it's a marketing response but it's also a missional response that that are, are do are our people ready to talk to her and to receive her. Of course, our people are here at Harpy. That's one of the great things we get to do is serve uh, in that way and at least be that friendly voice that connects them. And we can even set appointments into uh, into the the center services as those are made available to us. Um, but there's nothing like making that live transfer to that warm person who's not who's ready to receive her, that complete stranger we talked about earlier, uh, to help them as they walk through this valley of decision. Yeah, and speaking speaking of Harpy, um, I for 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 clinic directors looking to to answer or you know to respond to the desire to grow, I would encourage um, the conference, the Heartbeat Conference, the CareNet Conference. You know, I, one of my favorite. I really like the Heartbeat Conference, honestly, because it's really it's full of so many good tracks, and you can essentially get your the the variety of education that you might need from industry leaders and and what's amazing about that is that you can you can go in knowing that you need help in a certain area and then you can find probably two to four workshops that will provide you with some insight some evidence help you um, fast track your learning curve and help you go down that new road towards growing that part of your ministry 
Yeah, th so, thanks, thanks for that, Jacob. It's it's really a smorgasbord, a menu of things that people can tap into. Everything from board business to marketing uh, conversations. Uh, not only that, connecting with our exhibitors and and, and knowing what you know what what what. Yeah. Good services are there available to them. Um, we, you know, ours is coming up in, at the end of March in Jacksonville. Uh, for all of those even cold climates, not that you're in a cold climate. I know you're you're in Arizona, so I'm gonna go but anyway. All those, <laughs> but all all of us that are in cold climates are gonna want to get to Florida uh, at the end of March and enjoy some hopefully some some good sunshine, warm weather. But that very much that kind of spectrum of things available, and we're actually doing it. Uh, we we started this for the first time last year. We're actually doing two conferences at the same time. So we're doing the in-person conference, which we love and enjoy, and get to hang out with a thousand of our closest friends maybe more this year if we're in florida and it's and and the weather invites excites more people um but we also are doing a virtual conference so even if you can't travel uh you can participate still in in, in that learning track the information is different in both environments we, we so that gives us more experts and more people that that are 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 doing good work and there there are those that are are going to be training and teaching on the virtual conference and then those that are going to be there for the in-person experience yeah and so yeah for so for clinics who are opening their doors or just open within the last year this is this is the place to go to to find out all of the things you didn't know you needed to know <laughs> and and then for clinics who are looking to grow it's always a good place to go to to find you know, new ideas and a network and ask other, you know, even just interacting with other directors and asking them questions or talking to the, to the workshop leaders and the different speakers and ex essentially leaders from across the country, uh, all coming together under one mission and vision and, and having so much common ground when it comes to passion, you can find, you can find answers and different outlooks and things to consider so you can yeah, you know, sort of it's, come back, come back equipped. <laughs> it's true, and, and you know, even the conversations when around the the the, you know, the lunch table or the dinner table are are excellent. You know, you meet people who are in some other part of the country, maybe even some some other part of the world, which we get to enjoy at Heartbeat International. But you get to learn and see what they're facing, and sometimes it's. Um, I find that these are good conversations because they, they sometimes are a peek at where things are going. Like uh, I'm in a red state, but um, but you know our politics have been changing, and I, and I'm talking to my friend in the blue state who who that their politics changed years ago, and 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 they can see how that things are going, or or they can see well well I'm next to the blue state or I'm next to the red state. How can these things work together? And you know we can't manufacture those uh, um, all the time, but they happen in amazing conversations, either either in kind of a Q and A or from a, a workshop presenter, or even just at, at sitting next to each other and the in, or standing next in the line for Starbucks. This is nothing like it to get connected. And I would highly encourage, now you you mentioned uh, those that are new or, or relatively new, but I, I every now and then I run into someone who has been in this movement for a long time and they say, oh, I stopped going to the conferences years ago and any of them uh, because, uh, you know, it's always the same stuff. It's like, well, you're not paying attention because we have all kinds of new things that we're discussing. We are intentionally finding people who are pushing the envelope, who are uh, pushing into areas 
areas of, of services and ways to do things that that uh, that are finding successes and exploring new ways. So it's a great place to come, whether you're seasoned or 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 just brand new into this. Because by the way, we want our seasoned veterans to be sitting in those lunches and dinners so they can be the ones yeah. that are sources of information. Yeah, the the person that's been you know the executive director for 24 years has so much to offer. And meanwhile, if she if she usually she doesn't come to the to the conference, she may not hear about these new ideas that are popping up over the last couple of years. And and it's important to be to be there for those for those ideas that are being um, crafted, you know, year after year, especially when it comes to like, you know, the whole covid scenario has a lot of new pieces that have come into play when it comes to virtual marketing. Uh, when it comes to competing on the, in that virtual space, like the the landscape has has shifted and is continuing to shift, um, and so we as a group we need to continue to to be um, responsive and proactive on trying to reach you know essentially to compete where our clients are looking. We do, um, and, and let, let me let me also say this because I've I've run into this as well. We also need what that seasoned director brings. Like they they ask better questions of our workshop persons or the or they're asking better questions because they have experience they've also walked through yeah. some things that are challenging how do you deal how do you how do you have that kind of longevity in ministry and and how do you have that and it's because you've learned some things and we need that we need to rub shoulders together like that we need to have the you know the the scripture talks about the older should it should should encourage the younger right because they've seen some things and they can say you know they uh, hey, they can say, uh, oh, you know, the, it, it will be okay. Like I remember my, when I first went to a conference, uh, someone said, you know, it takes about 10 years to really understand what's going on. And I thought to myself, I don't have that kind of time. I need to figure this out a lot faster. And one of the ways that I did that was by 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 sitting at the feet, listening and rubbing shoulders with those who had been in the ministry, seen some things, learned some things, and I tried to glean as much as I can until until time passed. And you know, I've been at this now for a lot of years and and have learned a lot in the process. Yeah, yeah. For the for the directors who are in year one, they might feel like a freshman in college, but then for those you know, those who have been in it for 24 years, they're essentially working on their doctorate, or maybe they're like in a <laughs> master's program, and they're pouring into some of those younger, exactly. younger students who are uh, who are looking for, you know, looking to find their way around the campus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that that's every bit about the faith the faith mission that we're on. You know, we're 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 learning to walk in our faith every single day. And the minute we get satisfied that we're that we're at that place, then we're in the wrong spot. We really need to maintain that sense of of constantly uh, uh, walking, learn to learning to grow our faith and learning to walk in our faith better. And that is very much a part of the mission of pregnancy help. Awesome. All right. Well, I think I think that might be a good podcast. I think we might be there. Um, <laughs> I think, and this, I really appreciate your time, Jarrell. I think this, yeah, this will be good for executive directors to hear. And I think most of them know who you are, but just to hear this encouragement to grow, this encouragement to um, to be refreshed, and I, I just think they're going to find this to be helpful and encouraging. To I hope that they find encouragement to open up a new location in an unserved area. And then in order to add STI testing, add parenting classes, add an ultrasound service, if it's not there already, um, to continue to grow and, you know, cause growth can happen 
with locations, with services, with with hours of operation online, with virtual marketing and the yeah. new sidewalk, um, with branding, with in, in these different areas, there's room for growth. And so it's not just like in one one plane. It's more of in a multifaceted. There's always room to grow um, as there's room for women who who need help and and um, yeah and yeah it's, it's real, and in the end the, the the need to help women in this scenario is an evergreen need and mm, it's going to be true. it's going to be present in 50 years and so we may we, we need to keep working toward you know serving God's heart and acting as his feet and hands so that we can we can help those who yeah, need help. Just as if we were in their shoes and they were in ours, we'd want them to be helping us if we were caught in that bad scenario. Mm-hmm. Evergreen is a good way to describe that. And I think I think some of our pro-life friends are are seeing the uh, we you know pray Lord uh, will do this for us the reversal of Roe v. Wade as the as the end or the finish line. And that is the farthest from the no. truth. It's really the, it's really the, be, it can be the beginning of the end um, uh, yeah, of, of abortion's grip on our nation. But it, but it, it still means that there's a lot of work to done. And until, until that life is protected in law, we will have a lot to do. And I suspect even once that happens, we'll still have yeah. things to do as the I, church. I think even if all the laws protected life, there would still be a need to help women True. who are who are in an unplanned, unexpected pregnancy and who are not desiring to be a parent, they still need love, care, compassion. Absolutely. Um, and and essentially a friend who can help them through that journey. And I think and by and then that friend comes with that, you know, connects with that trust element. Um, and so I think I think this is an evergreen problem regardless of the laws. However, the laws have a big impact, but I don't yeah, I don't think it's like a light switch by any means. I think it's more of People need help when they're in hard situations. Sure, and and th- that's why we call it unplanned, unexpected pregnancy, right? It's 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 uh, it's something that we'll we'll be facing no matter what. You know, we even we even work with within countries where the law does seem to protect uh, women from abortion, uh, but in fact, it it it's a, it's a law uh, in name only, and it's not being enforced, and so. You know, it doesn't it, just because a country, uh, some of our South American countries have had good, good laws uh, protecting life, but they have to be enforced and then they have to be followed through. So it's not that just because the law does it means that there will be no abortions. And if there if if there are abortions, there will always always have need for alternatives to abortions. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, Terrell. I'm excited to share this with people and. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you, thank you for being on the podcast. I really, oh, uh, I just, it's always a pleasure to see you and to hear your your wisdom and uh, all the all the thoughts that you're ready to share. It's it's an uh, it's it's uh, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable well, and helpful. It's a privilege <laughs> and an honor to be a part of this movement, uh, and it's a, a joy. It's been a lot of uh, uh, of adventure. Let me say it that way.
I have a, an announcement to share. IRPS.com is looking to hire a Christian marketing manager with a Google Ads focus. We're looking to find somebody who is passionately pro-life, who is a strong writer, has experience with Google Ads, who enjoys digital marketing and thrives on data and analysis, uh, someone who really enjoys learning and improving in the digital marketing space with a natural ability to blend intelligence and heart to identify client-specific solutions. Um, and so if you know someone who might have some of these attributes, um, you could uh, check out the link in the description to find a link to this, uh, this job opening. And I hope that you would, um, if it's you, please apply, please reach out to us. If it's someone you would refer, um, as being possibly a good fit for this job, please introduce us to that person. Thank you so much.